Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. So for those who are going to listen to this recording down the road, you're going to hear two new voices that you haven't heard before. We've got Derek and Sherry with us today. Oh, wait, correction. If you listen to the audio version, mm. the man himself. Oh, my goodness. There he is. That voice that'll put you to sleep with the background noise. It's good. What? <laughs> That's not good. We always insult our guests. This is more of a roast. That was my that was my really poor attempt to compliment you on how well you're doing on the recordings, and that was just really not. I don't think it went well. No, no. See, and I understood that. I think I understood that you were trying to say it was soothing and you know relaxing. Yeah. I wish I could say Cito can edit this part out, but he's not going to edit that. He got that. He got no time. Head. No, it's so good. Oh man! But to that point, if you had, if you get a chance to listen to the audio recordings, they're they're well done. And I guess I'll pep up the next ones then. <laughs> so you don't fall <laughs> Charlie. Put the occasional loud noise in there and wake up Charlie. Sure, where are Bible studies. <laughs> woo 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 woo! Ding 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 ding. <laughs> This kind of thing. Put it out there. Time to whack table. Whack! <laughs> we digress. I am so thankful that the title of this lesson is God Wants to Be Your Friend because y'all ain't my friends. <laughs> and we're the best kind of friends. That's right. That's true. Yeah, page 43, lesson four. God Wants to Be Your Friend. And, um, you know, before we really kind of get into this lesson, um... There's a lot of parts to it. it. It focuses on the sanctuary, the Old Testament sanctuary system. And um, this is a really interesting, just kind of straightforward lesson. It's just teaching the information about it. But um, with the Adventist Church and this lesson really approaches it from a really unique perspective that it's it's a revelation of God's character or the plan of salvation. And, and that's really, really neat for people to kind of comprehend, I think, moving forward. Um, what was it several years ago, Sarah? We had that Bible study we were doing with Moyers, and they came from like a Pentecostal evangelical background. And we were working through the study with them, and we got to the end of this, and the husband said to me, That is, he's like, I've been, I've been a Christian my whole life. And he said, And that is the first time that I was ever shown that maybe the Old Testament sanctuary system was symbolic and not literal. Like, it blew his mind. It's really neat. So, so it'll be neat to kind of get that through it. So, um, <clears throat> let's just start there, top of page forty-three. I'll read the first paragraph. In a previous lesson, we learned that when Adam and Eve believed the lies of Satan and rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, in mercy, God withdrew His glorious presence from the earth. Later, God was recorded in Exodus thirty-three twenty as saying, "No man can see my face and live." meaning that man in his fallen condition could not live in the literal presence of God. We'll study this in more detail in a later lesson. Even though God could no longer walk in the garden with Adam and Eve as he had in the beginning, he still longed to be with the man he had made. The time came when the Lord said to Moses, I actually should probably have the man who's actually recording the audiobook do all the reading. No, everybody will go to sleep. You don't want that. <laughs> So, interesting. So the author kind of just brings out right in the beginning the idea that the sanctuary system was set up so that God could dwell and reveal part of himself. What do you all think about that idea? I 
Exodus 25, 8, 9, right? The Bible clearly says that. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. What do you all think of that idea? Any additional thoughts with that? It's in- Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's interesting that it says that it was for him. It says as he, uh, he still longed to be with the man he had made. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's saying there, the book is saying that it was his initiation. He wanted to hang out with man as opposed to, I need to be down there because they're, <laughs> they're really messing up. I never thought of it that way, actually. It says some amazing things about God, doesn't it? Yeah. Derek, did you have a comment? Um, yeah, and it morphed into a question in my head just now. Um, so Adam and Eve sin, and God comes down to the garden like he always does for their evening hanging out session. He says, where are you? Like already knowing the answer, of course. And then, then they work, they work it out. You know, God makes them garments. He's still in their presence at that point. At what time did he start hiding himself? Like it says... What does it say here in this chapter? You just read it. In mercy, where else? Oh, in mercy, God withdrew His glorious presence from the earth. Yeah. So did He when come did that to them happen? veiled in the garden? Yeah. Do you know anything about that? This is a dang good question. Thank you. I love wrestling with some of that stuff. We did learn a lot about. Was it last week or the week before? The Israelites. I think it was last week we talked about you know 400 years of slavery and virtually all knowledge of God was lost during that time. Right. Uh, uh, yes, the mighty Coco attacks. I love that. You know, it makes me think of another example when Christ, um, you know, was raised back from the dead, and there was a period of time when he requested not to be touched because he had not been in the presence of, of his father yet could it be something similar like that because he was kind of like in a transition do, do you know what I'm trying to say like a almost like a transition phase or something not I mean because otherwise before he died you know they could touch him and do whatever and I don't know I just chalked that as one of the questions I'm going to ask during the thousand years in heaven. Because honestly, I've read the Bible several times, and there's, you're not going to find that answer. I would say, and then we'll get, we'll tie it back in to keep moving through the lesson, to your point, Lola, about a transition phase. If we look at it from a perspective that God can change, then... Then yeah, to touch Christ before he goes to heaven, maybe then he would be marked or something would change in him that maybe would change how he could go to heaven first. And that's why he does his own touch me, right? Like you might infect me or something. I'm just processing this here. But if we look at it from the idea of God doesn't change, he's the same always, as the Bible says, but people change, then we would see God, to your point, transition but not so much for his benefit Mm -hmm. but for our benefit right yeah so um and i think too like yeah uh the sanctuary system when god set it up in exodus it was yeah here okay so here i have several hundred thousand several million people from the israelites 
basically don't have any clue who I am, how salvation works. They're all illiterate. They're all slaves. How do I teach them the plan of salvation? How do I dwell among them when they're going to worship the most scariest thing out there? Because that was their mindset. Right? Um, flipping over to page 44, we get into some of the, the aspects of the sanctuary. It's made up of three places, uh, three parts, courtyard, holy place, most holy place. Did anything stand out to you guys when you read this ahead of time um, that was kind of significant about the courtyard, the holy place, the most holy place? Why are there three different parts? And what's the significance of all of that? Any ideas? The only thing that came to my mind was because I I heard of this before and understand it from before was after the fact when when Christ was slain and the veil was ripped mm -hmm. top to bottom. Mm -hmm. So that when I was reading came to mind. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Um, I like here what uh, one, two, three, fourth paragraph on page 44. I highlight the whole thing. Everything about the sanctuary was a visual aid or symbolic representation to help the Israelite people to come to know about the living God in heaven and his plan to save man. I, I really like that idea because what's the best way to teach somebody something if they can't read and they can't write and they're illiterate, but to, in some words, do a play, teach them a play. And so there's this view. Or this under or this perspective of the old old testament sanctuary system that it was a teaching tool to act the parts and so every every aspect of it from the courtyard to the holy place to the most holy place all the symbols and all the parts to it are designed to teach a bigger reality to teach the plan of salvation and not only teach it from look here it is it's not only a visual aid it that you actually walk people through it yeah right they actually have to go through the process yeah yep. and you asked about the three parts mm -hmm. you know i think they're sort of symbolic of our continuing journey closer and closer and closer to the heart of god mm -hmm. um i know there were places where just anybody could go and then places where fewer people could go and fewer until you get to the most holy place where only the high priest could go on a certain mm -hmm. day. Um, it got more and more selective, which I think sort of shows our, you know, closeness or getting closer to God's presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. understood in that way. Um, John 6.35, someone read that, and let's just go down through a little bit here as, as, as the lesson kind of connects some of the points or some of the pieces of the sanctuary system to how they're symbolically represented. Can someone read six, John 6.35? And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He, comes, he who comes to me shall never hunger. So what would that be symbolic of? The showbread. Yeah, the showbread. And then following up John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. Mm -hmm. And that symbolized the lampstand. Mm 
interesting idea there. Uh, Hebrews 10, 19 through 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And then the author brings out this interpretation of that, saying the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place was a symbol of Christ, who was God veiled in the flesh so that he could live among men on earth. What do you guys think of that? Agree, disagree, don't have an opinion. Pretty cool. Yeah, but I don't think Jesus was here to veil us from God. I mean, to veil God, sorry. I think I'm thinking while I'm talking, I shouldn't do that. Um, we do that all the time, it's fine. Jesus, yeah, Jesus was here to show the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to reveal him in fullness, which is, seems like kind of the opposite of veiling to me. I think I understand what they're saying here, but it just seems contrary to what I picture. I don't know. What does everybody else think? Sarah, what are your thoughts? Because uh, this is a really good this is a really good point to kind of focus on because what the author here is, is suggesting. And he's providing biblical evidence for it yeah. that Jesus is what separates us from God. Because there's a veil here. It says through the veil that is his flesh. I don't know what the original says there. So I'm not, and I'm not in any way discrediting or undermining the study here or the author or their intentions in any way. But for me, when I read this, it made my mind go, so is that true if... if Jesus came to reveal, the Hebrews says that Jesus was the, the exact representation of the Father. Right. So, and so, if you wanted, in, in the Ark of the Covenant, like this lesson doesn't get this deep, but the Ark of the Covenant represented oneness with God. Like that is oneness with God was the Ark of the Covenant. And so, if you were in the holy place, and you wanted to see God, oneness with God, there's something blocking you, right? Eternal life is to know God, to know the Father, the one true God. That's eternal life. So if you wanted to look at God and know him fully, or anyone in this room, right? So Derek, you wanted to know, you know, Sherry fully, what would keep you, what would prevent that from happening? Like if you wanted to know somebody, But if you believe lies or falsehoods or had an inaccurate view of them or a wrong or understanding I, of them. Or I withhold something from him. Withhold something from him. Then that will keep you from knowing somebody. Lola. I feel like when I read it, my understanding is it's almost literal. Mm. Like when they were in the Garden of Eden when before they were what light and god could be they could be in god's presence and see each other but then he had to veil himself from them to protect them really it's you know a mercy type thing and on earth obviously god couldn't come in his true form presence that would kill us 
So he is like a literal sheath of something on him, even though it's not separating. I I know that the initial the initial veil means that it was a separate mm -hmm. space, but mm -hmm. I'm I'm taking it as him. He he had something protecting him. Or, or covering him, or protecting us, really, if you think mm -hmm. about it, mm -hmm. so that he could be in our presence. Mm -hmm. I, I see know. that now in the in the paragraph. He was veiled in the flesh, almost, what if you read that, he was veiled by the flesh. Yeah, kind of like that. <clears throat> so on the curtain, when you read... I'm guessing it's Leviticus where it goes through all the details of it. On the veil in the sanctuary, there was sown angels, okay? And during the sacrificial system, the high priest would take the blood of the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the veil, okay? And in the, in the sanctuary system, the blood represents the life. It's all symbolic of that, right? So if the veil in the sanctuary system represents Christ, but so does the blood, then how does that work? If the priest is taking the blood, which symbolizes the life of Christ, and he's applying the life of Christ to the life of Christ to help us get to the Father? Or, if we approach it from the aspect of the veil, again, because the sanctuary system is teaching the plan of salvation, the veil is the the lies that we believe about God or the misapprehensions that we understand about God that keep us from knowing the Father, if the veil represents that, there's angels sewed on the veil and the priest is applying the life of Christ to the veil, all of those points lead up to a different picture, meaning I want to get to God, but there's something blocking my ability to understand it, and it's a lie I believe about God. But the angels are there to help me understand the truth about God the blood, which represents the life of Jesus, is applied to the, li the lies that I believe about God because the truth about God is revealed in Jesus. Okay, that's clearly stated in John. If you see me, see the Father. So what happens if I believe this lie about God and Jesus shows up, does his ministry, dies on the cross, and the veil is ripped top to bottom? That means there's no more lies about God. It's all shown. It's all shown. It's all revealed. The evidence has been revealed. So when we understand the truth about God, then we open our hearts to trust Him. We don't believe any more lies about Him. There's nothing keeping us from God. There's no more, there's nothing blocking our way to God. We experience oneness with God. But, but I also, and I agree with all of that completely. There also, it's still niggling in the back of my brain about the protection from, like while we are still sinful, sure. and protected from that Shekinah glory, sure. right? We could never handle that. And even the high priest had to be, you know, made... He had to be without blemish at that point. However, they they did that um, symbolically. Right. You know, the whole bell and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So yeah. drag him out and get Interesting. Right. 
So we had to be protect. We have to be protected from that too, because we're not. I don't know there yet for something. That's super good. So yeah, there's, there I is think that's that right. aspect too. I think. You know the story too, where they're arresting Jesus in the garden. He's like, "Who, who are you looking for?" And and um, just very briefly, there's something about how he appears, even though he's still in the flesh that makes everybody just fall down as if they're dead for a second. Like a little clue, like this is what would happen if you oh. could truly see the, like <laughs> Jesus in, in his pure physical form. So like, I understand, I understand what the author's saying here. And then also in, in the passage from Hebrews, like that it's a mercy that he is covered by flesh and like looks like a person. Because if, if not, we'd all just die. Yeah. Him, him coming down here wouldn't have been so much a rescue mission as just like everybody's wiped out. Well, that didn't go well. So you know, mm -hmm. we need we needed that. That's interesting. I had this image while you were describing that, Derek, of like, okay, so there's a veil on on our side of the veil there, and it symbolizes you know there's angels were embroidered on it. The priest sprinkles the life of Christ on it. It symbolizes our ability to to connect with, to understand the truth about God, to get to know Him. Hence, Jesus said, "I am the you know, no one comes to the Father except through Me. I and my Father are the same, right?" But then, Scripture doesn't give any evidence that there's anything embroidered on the inside of the veil; that it's just a blank purple cloth. On like God's side of things, there's nothing there symbolizing anything. So, to your point, I just had this thought where it's like. For Jesus to avail himself in a human body to walk around so that we can connect with him, that's for our benefit. Mm -hmm. But on his side, he doesn't like, he doesn't need that benefit, right? It's for our benefit. So it's just like this interesting idea where, and last week Morgan asked this really good question about Uzzah when he reached up and touched the Ark, you know, and why did he die? Mm -hmm. If the Ark of the Covenant in that theatrical symbolic system represents oneness with God, then a person went right to God without going through a healing transforming process. And that's when Jesus, that's when Jesus, you know, when Moses on Mount Sinai said, you know, I think that doesn't, the <clears throat> yeah, Moses asked God on Mount Sinai, the lesson points this out, Exodus 33, God, I want to see your face. And God said, no man can see my face and live. You know, so you can't, you can't be one with me still broken and, and, you know, infected with fear and selfishness. It's out of harmony. God's saying you can't do that. You you can't live. It's you have to go through this transforming process. And when Moses, when God, you know, passed by Moses and showed him just a little bit, mm -hmm. if Moses had, you know, come out and said, "No, no, no, I want to see you in your full glory," then you know, God knew that that would would end him because he still was was clinging to sin. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what Uzzah did. Right. When he reached out, although I like to think of it as just a reflex, you know, he tried to grab it, but it at least was symbolic of that, I think. And, and in that, and then we'll, we'll get back to the lesson here, but in that system too, there's a great object lesson, as I understand that scenario, when Uzzah reached out to touch God. Uzzah wasn't trusting in God at that point. Uzzah was trusting in himself. Right. To handle the situation. 
and there's an object lesson in that for ourselves that we're trusting in our own system or our own understanding or our own whatever to get to God. There's an object lesson in that for us. And we don't have any evidence, do we, that Uzzah was was lost forever or anything. Exactly. He may have ended his life here. Right. Yeah. But not the second half. Right. Sleep. Right. Yeah, just put the sleep to show, to give a lesson. Um, bottom of page 45, we'll get back here. He starts talking about some of the symbol symbolism in some of the sacrifices. Um, the most common sacrifice is called the burnt offering. And he connects the point that this clearly symbolized Christ's sacrifice as the Lamb of God. Someone want to read that text for us? If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. What do you hear when you read that verse? mentioned anything at all about the tabernacle uh, it's something that I've always been taught but I don't know I've just never really dove down into it yeah Mike sir any ideas the author connects Peter right there at the bottom first Peter 119 but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot that's how they're connecting that the burnt offering person who is bringing the burnt offering is not without blemish right so the the offering with without is in place of him because he is not without trying to wrap your head around all the procession of all these families showing up with these animals and all of the sacrifices to be done on these high feast you know times it's just like wow it's hard to wrap your mind around that hopefully they all ate well mm. <laughs> it How? does sound the way it's presented here in Leviticus does sound a little bit transactional to me mm-hmm you put your hand on the head and then it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement but I also realize it is you know it is theater that's sort of how it works <clears throat> uh, Papa page 46 I like the point the author brings out and then I have a couple questions um, <clears throat> note that this offering was not commanded, but was to be made of one's own free will, just as Christ offered all of himself of his own free will for us. Question. 
a lot of Christianity, and I was taught this too, and I believe this for a long time, that God required the death of Jesus. God required Jesus to be our sacrifice to save us. Hmm. But Jesus' words himself says, no one can take my life, I give it up freely. The Bible then says that the Father was in the Son reconciling the world to himself. I doubt the cow that grew up without blemish was like, hey man, take me over there and yeah. slay me. <laughs> I was thinking that too. You know, it, so it, it's it's one of those things where it, it the cow, of course, doesn't know what's going on, I don't think. But, you know, as far as the, the theater of it all, if people are really putting their heart to it, then it is a, a good example of the cycle of redemption from God. Mm-hmm. You know, there the effect of sin is death, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's because sin sin takes us out of harmony with the way life is designed. Because mm-hmm. sin is selfishness, the opposite of love, right? Right, and so when they slice the bull or the lamb's throat, they're cutting the circulation of life in the animal, which symbolizes how sin. Cause of death. It's interesting too how um, the person would put their hand on the the head. It be it to me. It feels like a reminder that lies believed, you know, eventually lead to death mm. because your head is where you either believe or disbelieve a lie. Mm-hmm. And so you know you're putting your hand on the animal's head, and then the animal dies. It's like this is you know, obviously this person is making this offering because of sin voluntarily but like it just serves as kind of a reminder maybe Mm -hmm. when I believe lies it leads to death which connects to the veil which connects to Adam and Eve right the sin wasn't eating the apple or the fruit whatever it was that's symbolic of internalizing a lie about God which immediately did what separated them from being one with God immediately they were afraid of God and ran and hid okay so that there was immediately a veil showed up did Jesus show up there and block their way? No, that is a result of them believing a lie. Something changed in their mind that now there was fear that kept them from God. Ty Gibson has this great quote. I love it. If, if the thought of God puts your nerves on edge, then you have the wrong picture of God. I love that quote. Because clearly, Adam and Eve we're one with God in the garden back at the beginning of this, this talk there. Then they believed a lie, and the thought of God put their nerves on edge instantly, and they ran ahead. Right away. And ever since then, the plan of salvation in God has been working to eventually Jesus showed up, walked around in flesh to say, You don't need to be afraid here. Um Further down on page 46, we'll go through some of these interesting parts. Ephesians 5.2 said, um, I'm sorry, below that. Other ritual sacrifices listed in Leviticus include the meal offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. 
They all symbolize different aspects of our walk. Um, did anything stand out to you guys when you read those that you thought were kind of interesting, maybe? I'm not sure I remember the trespass offering before, but it's interesting. You know, the offering was made for atonement as willful sin. So how many times do you think about in your life that, oh, you know, this is wrong, but you're going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's... <laughs> I highlighted the same thing. Mm-hmm. The difference between yes. a sin of ignorance versus a sin of will of willful sin. Right. Yeah. Right. What do you think though? The author keeps using the word atonement in all of these things. What do you hear when you hear that word? Right? Like, because in our in our view as people, you know. As husbands, maybe we've done something that we know has really upset our wife. So on the way home, we swing by and we get flowers, chocolate, coffee, whatever whatever it is we know they'll like to hopefully atone. And uh, maybe she'll let us in the house when we get home. <laughs> right? Is that what we're applying to God in this? Okay? Because our view of atonement means to appease, try to settle, like, you know, clearly, like... Try to fix it ourselves. Fix it ourselves or... Mm-hmm make a change in the other so that they will then accept me. That's our view of it. You look at settling a score. You look yeah. at settling a yeah. score? Yeah. As in terms of like here or in our relationship you know, with God? just the whole process. You know, you're doing a trespass offering. All right. I, 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 I stole a ladle from my neighbor. I like that ladle. And so, <laughs> and I, I, but I, I, I realized that I shouldn't have been stole that la- ladle. <laughs> So, so I go and 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 so, so I, I go and I provide this pigeon that had no, you know, idea about the ladle, <laughs> but this pigeon because I touch its head, and then it it it's eradicated, you know, it, it it's it's like settling a score. Makes up for the ladle. Yeah, you're Even not dying. You still have the pigeon's the dying, but. We're square. We're square. Yeah. I always go for the spatula myself. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And the You're question a is, guy, do you still have say. the ladle? Ladle, yeah. ladle, ladle. Wait, well, it's dreidel, it's right. Oh. Got a ladle, but no bird. Right. What? <laughs> yeah. Y'all are nuts. I don't know. <laughs> no, but that's. But I think what what he's presenting there fits exactly in mm-hmm. all the places I have from my growing up and my young yeah. adulthood. All of that, like that's exactly what I thought it was like. Mm-hmm. It was evening a score. It was making up for something you've done wrong, like the buying of flowers, all that stuff. That's exactly how I always thought it was. So we laugh, but that is I think most think. of us yeah. kind of thought that for a long time. It's like the flowers, the chocolate. It doesn't make up for the mistake that you made to get your wife mad. It's going to appease the gods, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. I think that's Got a it. very successful lie <laughs> that Satan has perpetrated. Mm-hmm. It's very successful. If we could just get God on the right level of anger management therapy, everything would be fine. Yeah. The reason I bring up with the atonement aspect is because the original 
the meaning of the word atonement has changed over the years. Now, the author uses the King James or the New King James Version specifically throughout this entire study, but originally the word atonement came from the root word like at one meant, or in other words, like one. So back when the King James was written, if Mark, you stole my ladle, okay, the Which idea... He did. We he all probably know that. Would, yeah. And I'm not giving it back. The, the idea was... <laughs> You're going to go one them, or at one them, which means to bring the two together so that we're, we're friends now. We're not at odds anymore. Okay, and it's not the idea of to pay off, to appease, to, you know, to try to, because I'm mad because you stole my thing, so you wouldn't come to me and atone for your sins. And then I say, well, Mark, you know, you stole my ladle, but you, uh, you, you gave my ladle back plus a subscription to Bed Bath & Beyond so I could get all the other labels that I want moving forward. Like, okay, now I feel better, Mark. Thanks. Yeah, he gets me. Right? Mark just wants to be pampered. That is, that is a very prominent view of how God works. But originally, the idea is you would come to me and you would say, we're at odds, this is what happened, and now we're still friends. Like, there's no, there's no paying off anything. It's... For God dwelt in the Son, reconciling the world to himself. God showing up and doing everything he can to make it as easy as possible for us, who changed, to come to God and be one. Hence the sacrificial system, one with Christ. Right? Well, it just made me think that um, it's not necessarily that we're being forgiven for our sins or they're being forgiven for their sins as much as he's taking your sins so you don't have to worry about it anymore mm. um yeah sorry thank you you're out you're out of my peripherals i couldn't i got this chair over here um like i see it as the concept of like in the context of a human relationship um you know the different offerings, right? The female offering, whatever. Like you come, and you know, or the flowers, or the you know, whatever you're bringing to your spouse, mm -hmm. right, to fix whatever you've done. Like I think of it more as like you are bringing acknowledgement, right, of something that you have done against the relationship, right, or a belief, whatever. Like so, in the case of this, like you're bringing. That sacrifice is showing your acknowledgement that you, you know, had a false belief or um, had some sort of a, you know, sin, whatever that is. And then because in a human relationship, the way that, that works is, right, like once you've acknowledged, then you can, you know, have some sort of connection over that, right? Like without that acknowledgement, like you're not actually going to have connection because you're still holding that, that lie, the untruth, the false belief, whatever it is. And so, even if that other person believes that you have connection, it's really not there, right? So, in that case of, like, with us, with God, like, it's our job, right, to go and say, yeah, like, I acknowledge that this is what is going on. And so, and then you can have that, right, at one minute, right? Like, you can continue mm -hmm. to connect in that situation. But without that, then... Two quotes I heard recently. 
tagging what you just said, Sarah, was it's impossible for a person to change if they're in denial. It's impossible. And the second thing is growth begins with truth. So when you stop, you're not in denial. You break that denial structure. And you honestly accept the truth of your condition and situation. That's when growth starts. Think about that person providing that ox or whatever. That wasn't cheap. That that's also you know you're bringing this beautiful animal without blemish to you know atone for something that you know is wrong. And so in order for you to really be in that position, you have to be in an honest state of your situation. And it, it yeah, quite interesting. To close up the conversation here, and then we'll, we'll finish up the lesson next week, but uh, Lola, I just wanted to point out to your point, the author here at the bottom of page uh, 46 into the top of 47. New Testament texts like the following help us understand that the sacrifices were intended to remind the people that sin leads to death and then to point them to God, the only Savior. Hebrews 10.3 Hebrews, Hebrews 10.3 But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. And then John 1.29 Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I, and I love the fact that the Bible doesn't say Jesus is the Lamb of God who turns away God's wrath. But Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin in my heart. And he does that by the truth that he reveals. And then by beholding, That's right. we become changed. Pay attention to Spirit and So next week, we'll continue. We draw a line right there. Next week, we'll start off from there, and we'll talk more about the daily rituals and some of the Passover feasts and some really fun stuff. A little teaser for next week. In history, the feasts represent a specific time in history. Next week, we will talk about where are we in the timeline of history in relation to what the specific feasts point to. And that should give everybody goosebumps if they have ears to hear about it. Yep. Absolutely. Derek, you want a closing prayer for us? Sure. Yes. God, we thank you for not only for being here with us right now, but also for setting up these examples and this kind of uh, drama almost to show how this process works, how rejecting lies and believing the truth about you and your character and your love are what heal us and bring us closer to you as we go through this progression of, of uh, places in the temple. Continue to be with us, God, and help us to grow more like you. And we thank you in Jesus' name.